On July 3rd, 2014, a milestone in comedic history was sacrificed to the new era like a virgin of a conquered people. The Opie and Anthony show was on paper just a shock jock terrestrial radio show that crawled around in filth before being released to the then new world of satellite radio. A copy of Stern, a den of thieves, and to those on the outside looking in, just an animal house of losers, lowlives, and degenerates. But to us comedians, it was a fantasy. On this episode of the DTF podcast, we explore the green room of green rooms, the proto-podcast, and the comedian's comedian of comedy, our El Dorado, the Opie and motherfucking Anthony show. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast. I am your host, Sam Norton, and you are a person listening through earphones or a speaker, um, or through another means. I guess those are really the only two uh, ways, maybe through a car, huh? Uh, thank you. Thanks for coming back and listening to me talk shit. Uh, we are gonna dive deep, as I said, into the Opie and Anthony show. A, uh, a, a, a quite a, um, a quintessential uh, ingredient into myself as a comedian. And just really, my not even as a comedian, more as like a fan. Like, my sensibilities uh, are very much Opie and Anthony, uh, the, the, the show as a whole. Like, if you were to, if you were to compile that into a person and, and thrust it into me, like, into somebody, like, that is a part, like, the show itself is a, a huge part of my comedic spirit. Uh, equal parts, like, fun-loving, kind of an asshole, likes to push boundaries, doesn't know where the boundaries are, usually goes too far, uh, tries to hold back a little bit. Uh, luckily, I have people in my life, like my wife, who have kind of <laughs> tempered that a little bit, so I, I don't think that I'm going to explode and ruin my career and end everything the way that the Opie and Anthony show has, but there is that piece of me inside of there that goes uh, balls to the wall. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk. Th- this is going to be a weird episode because normally I can talk specifically when I dive something, dive deep into something on the DTF podcast, specifically about uh, like an act or a personality. But this is a this is a show. This is a uh, a, a composite, a quilt, uh, a, a a huge multi-year like spanning with uh, different people as components-esque idea so I'm going to try to keep it broad 
and talk about more the feeling and memories that I had uh, and maybe talk about what made this show in a generalized sense so good uh, and from my eyes, from my perspective. Uh, and it's your perspective too because I am your leader, I am your god and you listen to me all things comedy. Um, Alright, so quick history lesson for anybody who doesn't know. Uh, Opie and Anthony's show was, uh, like I said in the intro, a uh, terrestrial radio show that slowly uh, transitioned into uh, satellite radio. Um, they had Opie, uh, who was Greg Opie Hughes, and Anthony, Anthony Cumia. Uh, and they first aired in Boston on WAAF in March of 1995, okay? That went all the way uh, until July 1st, 2014. So let me give you a bit of a history lesson of kind of what happened in between those few dates, all right? So Opie was raised in Long Island, uh, went to a state university of New York, uh, then landed a gig at a local radio station in Rochester called WCMF, uh, and then moved on at some point to WUFX in Buffalo, then finally like hunkered down and was at WBAB uh, as the, back in New York as the host of uh, the Nighttime Attitude, right? He kind of had like a late night radio show that he did. Um, and he kind of, he had a little bit of leeway cause it was so late. So he ran quote unquote risque radio things. Uh, and the reason I say that is because he met his partner this way, uh, in August of 1994, uh, Opie, uh, held a OJ Simpson like parody song contest where Anthony Cumia was actually one of the entered contestants. Like, he, I guess, played in bands and shit and thought it was fun. So he entered with his parody song, uh, Gonna, Electri- Gonna Electric Shock OJ, to the tune of, um, oh, what's that? What's that song? I can't remember the title, but it's the whistling song. Uh, oh, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. He did it with Gonna Electric Shock OJ Today. Like that type of thing. Uh, anyways, right? He entered with that. It became kind of a hit on the show. Like the late night audience was like, ah, that's fun. So he made a few appearances. And it, that kind of, that that little pebble, right? Of Anthony kind of making appearances on the show and getting along. And just having whatever chemistry with Opie slowly snowballed and became that kind of destructive avalanche uh, that was the Opie Anthony show. And I mean destructive avalanche in more ways than one. So let's continue. So, like I said, it's the, the Opie and Anthony, you're like, wow, I thought you said it started in March 1995. Well, the Opie and Anthony show itself as kind of what we know of it today in like its uh, fetal form did start off like I said, in March, March 13, 1995, at WAFF Boston, uh, it, the, they they were like a team there and like had their show, uh, but they were fired in April of 98. Opie and Anthony was like uh, <laughs> their, their, their show, right? And they got fired because they had an April Fool's prank that told listeners of Boston that their mayor had been killed in a car accident 
with a young male Haitian prostitute. Okay, so that's the type of stuff that they report. I think that's hilarious that they w were like, hey, like making a news announcement. I tried to find clips of it because I, I personally wanted to hear it. I couldn't find anything. Um, but I think that's funny. So they got fired, right? But because they made... Uh, in, a, in a very, like, Howard, Howard, listen, Howard Stern, I, I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but Howard Stern, you have to give praise to him, and we will at some point, uh, just like we will do Letterman, what I've been talking about, and everything else, but uh, Opie and Anthony, it, it's, I think comedy's ever-evolving, and I think Opie and Anthony, if, if Howard was the, the genesis then, uh, like the beginning, I think that Opie and Anthony was like the second coming, right? They did everything that Stern did, but better, in my opinion, okay? So in, in this history, they had kind of uh, echoes of that, you know? Howard Stern would go too far, get fired, and get picked up somewhere, and that's what happened, right? They said in Boston, hey, the mayor's fucking some young Haitian prostitute, right? They get fired, boom, get picked up at WNE. WFM in New York, and that started on June 1998, okay? That year is when they actually brought in a comedian named Jim Norton, who I may have talked about in past episodes, uh, one of uh, one of my probably top 20 comedians of all time. I very much like him, not because we have the same last name, I just dig him a lot, but he was kind of brought in as like a go-between with... Uh, Opie and Anthony, because Opie was, uh, you know, because he was he went to school and was trained, and he had more of a old school mentality of radio, even though he was there, kind of changing it. Whereas Anthony didn't have any goddamn real training at all; he just was a character, right? And he, and so Jim was this like as a as a comedian who's done radio before, like promoting shows he kind of knew the structure of that but he was also kind of a wild man like anthony so it created this weird trifecta that definitely works right they were they were there together um so that happened right and then opie and anthony fm uh they were they were fired on from that uh the w uh n-e-w they were fired on august 22nd uh, now, the reason they were fired, again, controversy, they, uh, f they on air, were encouraging uh, this tourist couple to uh, go have sex in the St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Um, and it was uh, pretty, uh, as graphic as, I guess, you could get pushed, and people took huge offense that they were trying to do that, and so they get fired, right? But then, controversy creates... Uh, uh, opportunity and after the controversy they were they were fired but then on august 4th 2004 ona moved to the promised land and permanently were on satellite radio which was them xm uh now sirius satellite radio after the merger but this would be their their home and kind of the the place where they truly began to blossom because on satellite radio, right, you have paid viewership. You, they could do basically anything they wanted, right? It was like uh, it's it was like early internet uh, for radio, right? Before podcasts happened, they it was kind of 
you know, where where was content gonna go? And uh, satellite radio picked up Opie and Anthony, Howard Stern, you know, anybody who was doing anything in radio uh, of real substance was going over to satellite radio. So this is where the journey really begins. That 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 backstory kind of gives you a little bit of like what they were what they were doing they were being punished they had to move on they pick up jim norton they get punished again then they get they have all the ingredients opie anthony jim norton uh they're in new york uh they are now on satellite radio and they are able to broadcast to a larger world because they also at this time had um their terrestrial show that which was picked up and, and syndicated so they would uh if i if i'm uh they had like 24 terrestrial radio stations uh owned by uh cbs so they would do part of the show that would broadcast out then boom they'd go right over to the Op- uh, opie and anthony so- show on uh uh xm Sirius radio um so that's the history okay um, now let me talk about my own personal history, why I wanted to talk about this. So I, I have a very distinct memory of uh, being introduced to this uh, show. Uh, it was, a, like I said, it was a weird pivotal moment uh, in, in my personal comedy ideas. Because um, we already, uh, back on um, an earlier episode where I talk about my love for the show Tough Crowd, right? Tough Crowd was something I got to experience back in like high, middle school, high school times. And that was, by the way, that was uh, DTF episode number 10, Tough Crowd. Um, but uh, that was like an early version of ONA, right? That was back when I was, before I was doing comedy, when I was purely just a fan and falling in love with, uh, you know, guys shooting the shit, comedians being comics and just going for the laugh all the time, right? That That is my bread and butter. And so I was in Kansas City. This had to be 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. That's kind of where I started doing comedy. And a buddy of mine, fellow comedian named Gabe Perry, uh, he got a brand, uh, we, we thought he was awesome, right? He got this job, like this really good job, like he was a courier, and with the money he was making from that, he got a brand new uh, Prius hybrid. It was the first time I ever heard about a hybrid. I was like, what? So it's electric? And he's like, no. Anyway, so hey, it was different times, right? So this motherfucker gets a hybrid before I knew, knew what it was, knew, even knew what it was, but also a feature of it, like they have in most new cars nowadays, they had XM radio, like satellite radio that you could subscribe to. Since he was a courier, he said, fucking hook it up. So we had satellite radio in his Prius. And there was a few times where we would go on a long road trip to uh, you know, a comedy show in fucking <laughs> Podunk, Nebraska, or got like Mexico, Missouri, or some shit like that, right? We'd have a long drive there, long drive back. And through his travels, he discovered the ONA show and he's like, dude, you have to, let's, we got to listen to this. And I, I like most things when I'm introduced to it, I go, you know what? You don't know what the hell I'm going to like. And then usually my friends and loved ones do know what I like. And when he turned it on, I was laughing my fucking ass off. Uh, it was, 
was a weird eye-opening thing. And there were there were times. I'm not kidding. There were times where we would we would drive to a a show even if it was in town. Then we'd go back to like hang out after the show or after mics and stuff. And we would like instead of going in, we would just like sit in his driveway or out front of his house, uh, like on a summer day, and just listen to the O and A show because it was on, and just laugh our asses off and fucking drink while he smoked and shit. It was. Uh, it, it was weird to be in the like early 2000s or late 2000s, whatever, and listening to the radio like it was the 1920s. You know what I mean? Like, the troops came back today. Like we were, we were listen. We had internet. Like YouTube was around. We we could go in and watch s- satellite TV and shit, and you know, play video games. And there we were after a show, rather. Than doing those things, we were listening to the fucking radio. Like that's how much it it, it really grabbed hold of us. Um, and it again, the, the the main theme for me of why this show works so well is because if if like Tough Crowd was like the Greek city states, like the the bedrock of uh, <laughs> of comedic democracy or whatever. Uh, then ONA was definitely the Roman Empire. It did everything kind of bigger and better uh, and lasted longer uh, in that aspect. I don't know, you know, after the Roman Empire broke up into, uh, you know, different warring barbarian clans and shit like that, and I, I think that would be the legacy of the ONA show, what came out of it, which we will get into um, here in a little bit. Uh, but the... The ONA show really, like, Tough Crowd had that, like, revolving uh, similar cast of characters. A lot of those same guys went and moved over to ONA, but then it, it like, it was, it was eye-opening because it expanded. Because they, th- this, this show, every day, was between three to five hours, right? They were, it was new satellite radio, they just had to fill airtime, so they would be able to go on for hours uh, which uh, allotted for so many different types of guests and when they're in New York you know almost every major comedian uh, unless they got some especially back then unless they had like a TV or movie deal they were in they were back in New York doing sets at night and so during the day they had nothing to do so the more popular it got, the more everybody wanted to go and just hang out at Opie and Anthony. Here's I made a list of like people I remember being on there regularly. These aren't people that like came in once or twice. These are people that were on there in the the years that ONA was at uh, satellite like XM Sirius Satellite Radio that were there multiple times where if you go back and listen to episodes, you'll probably hear him on there, okay? So Jim Norton, of course, he was on there all the time. Uh, Patrice O'Neill, Joe Rogan, Bill Burr, Amy Schumer, Greg Giraldo, George Carlin, before he passed away, Nick DiPaolo, Colin Quinn, Kevin Hart, Mark Marin, uh, Penn Jillette, Dave Attell, Bobby Kelly, Brian Regan, Jay Moore, Doug Stanhope, Ricky Gervais... I think Seinfeld, I think he was only on there a few times. But, like, fucking, the list goes on and on. Like, I I stopped there because I'm like, all right, I think that's enough name dropping. I think you guys get the point. But those people were on there, like, regularly, which is insane. Like, every every major up-and-coming comedian 
in the 2000s, like in like early 2010s, uh, they all loved doing Opie and Anthony. And I can tell you, speaking from experience, not of doing ONA, but just being a comedian, I can tell you exactly why, and this is the crux of what made the show so good. I, the reason that uh, comedians loved doing ONA is, one, it was a platform to do, like, uh, to be funny, right? To be funny in front of a quote-unquote audience, like, to, to showcase how funny you are. Uh, but the other thing that I think... Uh, touched comedians a little bit more is like especially at this time this is going away speaking as a uh, you know full-time comedian whenever you do promo for your shows we're in a weird time now to where like all right so the way it used to work uh more so is whenever you were a comedian and you're booked at a comedy club for the week okay that's wednesday through sunday or Wednesday through Saturday, okay? You're booked there for the week. Clubs would, and some still do, would set up uh, radio, uh, like, interviews that you would do on, like, morning drive time or afternoon uh, drive time radio with the, the big local DJ or station that would pull in what crowd they wanted to uh, go after, right? Um, and some of them would do like morning television too, but it, let's just focus on radio. Um, but yeah, you'd go in, um, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever, uh, to these radio stations and you, depending on the radio station, you're there for, you know, an hour in between songs. They talk to you for 15 minutes. They go away, come back, talk to you for five minutes. You promote the show. They give away tickets, right? It's it's a pretty standard thing. And then it's the same in the afternoon. Now, you'd maybe do that, depending on the club, you'd maybe do that on a, on Thursday, and then you'd do it again on Friday, okay? Um, and it was part of the job, right? Sucked, especially after you did a show. Uh, maybe you drank the night before. Then you got to get up and you got to be funny in front of, you know, maybe two people you've never met before. And they're not comedians. They're just radio hosts, right? And a lot of times what happens is they just set you up with a joke, right? They go, all right, how do you, how do you want us, like, what do you want to talk about? What jokes do you want to do? And you go, uh, just ask me about my kids or something, Right. So they go, oh, hey, well, we got uh, drive time at nine here at the WPPS. Uh, we got comedian Sam Norton, who's going to be playing up the chuckle fuck today. Uh, now, Sam, I heard that uh, I heard that it's been hard getting away from your kids. And then you've got to, like, ham fist go, oh, you know, it's actually not that hard. I can't wait to get away from my kids. Right? It was very... Uh, disingenuous and it still is every time you do it every time i do it i'm like all right this is part of the job right but it didn't feel like comedy doesn't ever really feel like comedy it feels like a goddamn commercial which is what it is all right however o and a none there was no aspect of that never did a comedian come in and they asked you to do material they asked you to be any, they asked you to promote anything i mean they they would go like hey where are you at this week and that that that's it right uh there was no there was no weird turn from it it really did feel like you were hanging out with your buddies and you also didn't have to be clean right 
the FCC wasn't going to come after you for saying fuck or shit or anything, so you could talk about or do or damn near say anything you wanted. So it felt even more like a comedic hangout spot. Not to mention the fact that, at least listening to ONA, you know, say say you come in, right? It's you, Opie, Anthony, and Jim Norton, right? So you're talking to uh, to them about God knows what for like an hour, and all of a sudden, who walks in but like George Carlin because he's in town doing something. And he was around the block and thought to come in and say, hey, so now you're sitting there talking with George Carlin for an extra two hours. Like, shit like that happened all the time on ONA where it was just like, oh, hey, or we had a call in. Hey, there, here's a guy coming in, right? Um, it truly was uh, just a, a magical place for a comedian because it, it was a radio, it was radio run as like a true hang. Um like it really I think the closest thing I can say is like it truly felt like being in a room full of comedians in that like if you were to go into like a green room uh, after or before a show like at a festival or you were just at like a comedian's condo or comedy like house party like I've been to enough of those I've been to comedian house parties I've been to con- like I've been in so many comedy condos or whatever to where you're sharing rooms with comics and really all it is is most of the time comics just trying to one-up each other and get the most laughs in the room because that's what we're built to do and it's it and it's it really is a sickness because it is just one-upmanship but it's the most enjoyable one-upmanship in the world because it takes something toxic uh like you uh, maybe you guys have heard of that uh I think it's a website, and then it became like a Twitter and Instagram handle and stuff like that. But it's called Hold My Beer, right? And it is—it's—it's it's the dumbest thing that uh, that people do. Where and I have this part of me where you get so competitive that somebody does something, you're like, "Oh, yeah, you think that's cool? Hold my beer." Comedians do that, but with laughter, right? When someone gets a huge laugh, you laugh hysteric because you—it's involuntary. You can't help but not laugh at it, right? But then in the back of your mind as a comic hanging out with other comics, you're like, I think I could top that. So you try to say something funny on top of it and hope that it does better and better and better. better. And it just is so enjoyable. And that was a distilled, this show was a distilled version of it to where there was structure. There was a sense of like showmanship and entertainment. You know, they were behind the mics. They were in a radio station that they knew what was going on. But because of the comfortability, those layers kind of peeled back until the core was there. The core was we're on a radio state, we're at a radio station, we're here to entertain. So everybody knew that like deep down, but they also felt so comfortable to just be comedians. And and the funny thing is like you would think that this is something that is only for uh, like edge lords, right? Like, guys and gals that just say the craziest shit, right? But that's not actually the case. Like, from the wokest of woke comedians to, like, the flag-waving, you know, edgelord First Amendment comics, like, we all want to hang like this. And I know this from personal experience. Like, maybe not the same topics of each episode. Like, I'm not going to say that every comedian loves talking about the same topics. But, like, here's my example, right? Like, politically right-leaning comedians they'll like they'll go hard 
uh, like they'll go hard funny, like say some of the funniest things on feminist, feminists and like communists. To where if like you're a feminist or a communist, you might take offense to it, but it is funny. Uh, and then on the the other side, politically left leaning comedians will go like hard funny, like super hilarious on like anti-abortion uh, laws and shit to where like a like a Christian would or you know someone who's uh, <laughs> like um, you know pro anti-abortion or uh, what is it the pro uh, pro-life would think that you're the devil but it legitimately is funny it's stuff like that so I've been at multiple comedy hangs to where the sensibilities have changed but the, the aspect of just going to the funniest place ever uh, with whatever you're talking about and I've it, it's like I, I've heard just you know from a con- conservative value standpoint uh, it's insensitive but I've heard hilarious abortion jokes uh, on ONA and from you know like a, <laughs> a more liberal values standpoint it's pretty insensitive but I've heard a hilarious like feminist jokes like against feminist it just that there there was nothing I think what it was was there was really nothing sacred right that everything everything was there for the taking everything was ready to be mocked and picked and prodded at just for the sake of getting a laugh uh, and I think that's where comedy goes best is when like the only thing sacred is the laugh um, now you can't do that everywhere because then it's just like don't get me wrong I have sensitivities that's not true well I don't know I guess I do if you talk shit about my family but like everybody has their own sensibilities but if you have a safe space for comedy uh sorry for using that term but it, truly if you have a safe space for comedy where everybody goes in knowing the intent is not malicious that the intent is just to make people laugh then 99 times out of 100 it's gonna be fucking hilarious if you just let yourself ride with the comedy I'm not gonna say that some things can't get to you where you go, okay, that was more insulting than it was funny. But in general, that's what ONA, I think, highlighted for me um, more than anything was, oh, this is where my morality lies. Like, I would listen to ONA uh, on the regular with Gabe, and we would be just cackling at shit that I know that if I was like fuck around my parents or something i would feel the urge to be like no this isn't me but it was it was nice to have a place to go uh yeah this is this is who i am i care about the funny and where like and here here's the thing about one okay uh that, that this is where they went to play okay and it showed where the hosts like all great comedic hosts like carlin and letterman and conan um, Owen A knew when to be funny and more importantly when not to be Opie and Anthony were fantastic of set up and set up punchline and then set up and then let other comedians roll with it and just being fluid in that in that way um, and just just let, like I said just letting the comics play and be who they are there's a reason like it 
it bugs me to no fucking end whenever you get a comedian on a show or 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 in some aspect and you put obstacles in their way of doing what they do uh merely for the sense that you think you know how to entertain better like that that's like it's like giving michael jordan a basketball and then going like no let me show you how to dunk and it's like no it's fucking michael jordan you give him a basketball you just let him do his thing and then you sit back and maybe pass him about like that maybe you could do that right you can pass him or uh you wait for him if he passes it to you you shoot a three and then you celebrate together like there's a way to hang out with fucking professionals in their craft and it it and it bugs me to no end whenever you put a comedian in a in a place for them to be funny and you either hog the ball or you you tell them, hey, I, this is how I want you to handle the ball. It's like, no, once you give me the ball, I'm going to fucking dunk it. I'm going to do what I do, all right? If you don't want me to do, if you don't want me to fucking be Michael Jordan and jump from the free throw and fucking shatter the backboard, then don't give me the ball, okay? I don't want to play this game. And ONA fucking nailed that down for me of like, yeah, no, they know how to play. They were perfect. They had the court, they had the ball, they had the nets, and they let motherfuckers just have the greatest games of three-on-three the world has ever seen. And so I want you guys to listen. These are clips that have no background, right? Because I'm not going to play a three-hour episode on here. I'm already going to talk your ear off for three hours. But these are just random clips of hilarity that ensued. And hopefully it whets your appetite to go on because there's a shitload of clips and episodes on YouTube that you can listen to and watch um, from their studio. So here's some just to whet your appetite so later maybe you can go binge and listen to a little bit of Opie and Anthony. So enjoy and we'll be right back. I do yes. know where the, where the term kite came from, by the way. Ah, derogatory term it's for the, Jewish yes, people? Yes, I, do, where I, that I do know where that came from. Where? It is mm-hmm. when that, when people used to come uh, over on the, uh, you know, in the ships that, on Ellis Island, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a lot of people couldn't write English, so they used to make their mark, and the Jews' mark was a circle, and uh, the circle is called keikel. So that's what they were just shorting it to kike. The oh. guys oh, coming yeah? in and say, here's another kike once they've seen the, the, the circle. You know where Stamps. nigger came from originally? <laughs> there was some black guy being a nigger. <laughs> so they called him a nigger. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he was being a real nigger, and somebody said, what a nigger. And that's where it started. It just was a, nigger was a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, this, mo- look at him. This- yeah, it wasn't some wordplay. He was blurting out a sound, and it came out like that. Just the guy was being such a nigger <laughs> that it fucking made someone say the word. <laughs> oh my god, oh, man! That awful. Well, we're learning about derogatory yeah. terms That's and where right. they came from. Oh, That's right. Wow, it's history. It's a really good history so lesson. Funny. I never knew. Yay! It was, it was like the, the mom in a bad 80s movie. Like, I was the kid from across the tracks who wanted to yeah. bang the hot daughter. Right. You're not from around here, bub. <laughs> Fucking You're the, Laura Dern's parents in mask. <laughs> <laughs> Come, let's go now. <laughs> no, I'm mask. She's Laura Dern's parents. <laughs> yes. You said I was Laura right. Dern's parents. Oh, well, you could be, too. 
No, I don't. She's the greatest. She's not talking. home, big head. Yeah. <laughs> Mom says I look like a lion. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> here he is. Come here, meet my parents. And they're like, oh, Christ, what's this monster walking over here? Oh, shit, that's him. <laughs> Favorite things, the sun on my face. Sun on my face. Things I hate, yeah. the sun in my face. The sun and the darkness in my face because it's so big it covers all time zones. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the sun on the right side and the darkness on the left. <laughs> Eclipse head. <laughs> my whore mother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the bikers will molest me after they do prank. <laughs> the bikers who do crank and then oh. fuck my face angrily for hours at a time. Oh, look what happened to her crystal meth-lined womb. <laughs> that fucking monstrosity Holy came out. Shit. Oh, Rocky Dennis. <laughs> fucking great movie. Me, I didn't pick up on time. Oh, really? Clock. Fuck, oh, we can talk man. to him. He's in West Africa for the holidays. Whoa. Oh, there I was. West Africa. You know, we got another man. we got another oh, world, world traveler on the phone, by the way. Yeah, Bobby's on hold. Bobby! What's up? La, la, la. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. Bobby. Bob Kelly, la, 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 la. Where are you? La, 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 la. Yeah. Bet you're eating cookies. Fa, la, la, la. Bobby doesn't care if they're dry. La, 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 la. Laying on the beach. Fa, la, 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 la. Tourists taking pictures with him. La, 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 la. Sprinkles on his belly. Fa, la, la, la. Look, mommy, it talks. Fa, la, la, la. Can I keep it? Fa, la, la, la. Can we make lamp oil from him? Fa, la, la, la. With its flipper, fa la 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 la, and they roll him in the waves, and they roll him in the waves. Say, watch his blow. We're calling Greenpeace, la 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 la. Someone gotta protect him. Propeller marks on his back, fa la 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 la. Barnacles on his arm, fa la 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 la. They serve him in sushi bars illegally, la la. Make his love handles into candles, fa la la la. Jonah fell into his mouth, fa la la la. Pinocchio's lost inside him, fa la la la. He thinks he's popular in casinos, fa la la. He's mixing up that term, fa la 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 la. Carvel made a bobby cake, la 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 la. Every hat is small on him, fa la la la. Like Natalie Holloway, la la la. <laughs> Hope they never find your body, la la la. But that's kind of impossible, fa la la la. Can't possibly hide him, fa la la la. He'd be in the ocean, fa la 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 la. Someone would claim him for their country, la la la. <laughs> Cubans coming to America on top of him. <laughs> and Bobby's eating all the krills. And Bobby's eating all the krills. He was harpooned by Joran van der Sloot, la la. Strangest food through his baleen, fa la 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 la. That's a joke for me, marine biologist, fa la 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 la. You, you know that he's just gonna eat until the holidays are over, dude, la la la. <laughs> Ah, uh, Bobby. Thanks oh. for calling, man. Hey, Bobby. Ah, wow. There's Bobby from Aruba, everyone. Uh.
Two girls, one cup with Adam Ferrar. All right. Silly. Move that mouse. First things first, I'm going to call out in your head, if you've never heard Opie and Anthony, I guarantee you're going, dude, that just sounds like a podcast. Why the fuck are you breaking down a podcast? Well, that's because, like I said in the beginning, this was the proto-podcast. This thing, it, it, like every podcast, like comedic podcast that you think this sounds like or is derivative of, they all are influenced, whether they know it or not, from Opie and Anthony, from this right here. Podcasting wasn't really invented, and I looked this up, right? I do research on here. Podcast really wasn't invented, I guess technically it was invented in 1998, but it wasn't really the uh, apparition that we know until the new millennium. It didn't It didn't really even get distributed on iTunes until 2005, okay? Now, while the tech of the comedic podcast uh, was like being built like being distributed on uh, some platform where people could actually hear it like on iTunes or people being able to get fucking quality mics and recording uh, ability to uh, have something halfway decent sound um, while that all was being built in the the the, the format of it, right? Not not the tech, but the format of what a entertaining uh, comedic podcast is was being uh, built on on Opie and Anthony. They, I, I don't think they knew it. I think they were just doing internet radio at the time. But they were they were building what we now know as po- basically podcasting, which is a huge or comedic podcasting in general, right? Um, like Joe Rogan himself has even been quoted multiple times uh, for saying that uh, Opie and Anthony and then Anthony Kumia's later one live from the compound was a direct influence of him wanting to start his own podcast and fucking Joe Rogan whether you like his podcast or not it gets 190 million listens every month like he's built a comedic podcast empire uh and it's due to what ONA showed him. Uh, what ONA showed him that could possibly happen, and he's not the only one, right? Joe Rogan, Mark Marin, Legion of Skanks. These are all direct descendants of uh, of the o- Opie and Anthony show. 
um, Big J Okerson in the clip that I you could hear him uh, laughing and giggling on one of them. He was a regular there too and built Legion of Skanks. So like these again, your comedic sensibility, whether you not like these people or not, they you cannot deny that they are huge in the aspect of uh, kind of radio podcasting, whatever entertainment, and that's because the podcast format. Uh, like, all right, so ONA on Sirius Satellite Radio, because of the deal that they were giving, they found the production of what a, uh, uh, like where entertainment was going, especially comedic ones, right? So the, the, it was a, it was fluid in nature, like their show, but it was also grounded structurally, like it, have you guys ever heard of a, a non-Newtonian fluid? It's, it's one of those things where it's uh, cornstarch and water. You made it in, like, elementary school, right? And when you mix it, right, if you try to punch it, 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 it's solid, right? You can't get through it. But if you just let it relax, it flows like a liquid. It flows away. It goes through your fingertips. goes off the desk, right? But then if you try to mush it again, it gets solid again. That's exactly what... Uh, ONA built and what everybody else kind of picked up of like oh shit it like as a show especially when you're hanging out with comedians if you have uh, a little bit of a structure right you know vaguely bullet points where you're going uh and then like don't you like don't use that structure like as a uh, as like canon, right? You, you just use it as a little navigation tool to go down the river of comedy that is flowing out of your guests is basically what's going on. And I think uh, it it shows in, I mean, Rogan has, uh, not, uh, fuck, not even just the time allotted, right? He does three, four, five-hour podcasts, the same as ONA. Mark Marin, the same. Legion of Skank, like all of these podcasts do the same amount of time but they also have that same kind of structure where it's like okay i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna hang out with some friends i'm gonna hang out with one person i'm gonna talk to them and maybe there's bullet points that i have that i want to talk to but i want to see where this goes right and and that's just in their interview whenever they're just hanging out with like fellow comics it's even less structured than that because you just go where the comedy leads you right there may be some parts where you want to go here go want to go there but in general, it is, and, and again, this is all uh, O and A's making. Uh, I thought about this quite a bit because, like, like I said about Howard Stern, right? They O and A. The reason I keep bringing up Howard Stern is because they had a huge, huge, uh, at least in the radio business, and especially when they went on to satellite radio, because uh, there was two competitors. There was XM and there was Sirius. I believe that Howard Stern went over to Sirius Radio. ONA went over to XM, so they were like competitive, uh, quote-unquote, shock jocks, right? And there was a little bit of elitism with Howard Stern, and rightfully so. The guy's amazing. But he was saying, like their show was saying, like, oh, you know, they're just doing what we do. And ONA was like, go fuck yourself. No, we're not. And I 100% agree because where Howard Stern, again, had that uh, that very similar, like, hey, let's just see where this conversation lies. It was a dictatorship in all intents and purposes and still is, right? And that's because Howard Stern knows what he's fucking doing. 
right? But he controls the board. He controls the conversation, uh, the the comedians, the guests. That's not a, a huge hang, right? Um, it's the same people on there all the time. Whereas O and A, right? You could have like Jim, Opie, and Anthony uh, on one show, and then the next show you could have Jim, Opie, and Anthony. Then you know uh, Bobby Kelly. Uh, Patrice O'Neill, Colin Quinn, and then a call-in from, like, <laughs> Jay Moore and, like, three other people. So it just became a smorgasbord of guests and talent, and it was never dictated by anybody, right? Opie and Anthony were the showrunners, right? They were the main guys, but it was not... Nece- it, if you were to listen in on any episode, you wouldn't know whose show it really was to be quite honest and i think that was the genius of them because if you listen to the howard stern show you don't know um you don't even say hey this is howard stern show you just put it on right you'll know within 10 minutes oh it's it's that guy the guy who's talking and interviewing that's that's his show o and a you don't know Right, I guarantee you listen to a show. Try to pick out Opie and Anthony's voice half the time, and most of the time you're going to be, to be honest, you pick a Patrice O'Neill episode, you'll think it's fucking Patrice O'Neill's show. Um, but that's with any given episode. Most of the time it's just a bunch of guys and girls hanging out, just being hilarious and allowing themselves to follow the funny without any, like based purely on mer- like a meritocracy, the way I think it should be. Um, ONA had a structure and like sketches don't get me wrong they did sketches on site shows they had character guests fucking Jimmy had a great one I might do a just a tad episode about Chip Chipperson um, they also had call in segments and you know uh, uh, multiple occasions uh, it would be thrown out or like just completely disregarded or molded into the conversation they, I mean, they had a structure of what they were going to do, but a lot of times they would just, you could tell they would go, hey, let's go into this, and then it would spiral into something else, and they wouldn't even go into it. It would just, they'd go, ah, fuck it, we're filling up the time, who gives a fuck? Impromptu antics and just guess in general uh, could completely uh, change the course of the show. And the bullet points. Comedy always came first. Um, the conversation was always natural. I think that's what it it really shined at. The conversation was always natural and never left wanting. Like I was talking about with doing regular terrestrial radio as a promotion, it, it like if you listen to it in comparison, it feels so forced both as a listener and as a comic, right? It, like my job, our job, I'm not gonna say my. I was never on Opie and Anthony, but our job as a comedian is to sound is to be a great communicator, right? To sound natural, to sound. Like, we're not doing bits or running scripts or anything like that. But it is difficult when you're hanging out, one, with people you don't fucking know, two, if they're not funny, and three, when it's just not an atmosphere that that allows for the blossoming of a personality or jokes or fucking comedy in that nature. You know what I mean? Back to the Michael Jordan <laughs> analogy that's like, it's like telling Michael Jordan to play an amazing game of basketball on a fucking soccer pitch. Like, he might be able to do all right, but like the ball's going to dribble a lot fucking different on grass. You know what I mean? And that's how a lot of times it is for comedy. But, like I said, Opie and Anthony, they, they weren't the players, right? 
they they were maybe the coat they were the coaches right they were the coach and owners they owned the fucking stadium they built just a, a perfect stadium for comedians to come and play <clears throat> perfect hoops perfect floor perfect balls huge fucking audience to be introduced to them they re- they really built something uh, just for the comedians right they it, it really yeah, it, it was it was like it was like playing at a club where you know the club owner is a, a huge comedy fan, instead of what Howard Stern was, where it's like it's a great comedy club, but you know the club owner has always wanted to do stand up, so he like hosts the show. Because I've done clubs like that where it's like you show up for the week and they go, oh okay, who am I working with? They're like, oh you're working with. Uh, Ted Frazier or whatever, and you're like, oh, so it's just a two-person show? Like, no, no, I host, and you're like, oh, fuck me, and so the, you know, the fucking club owner goes up, and they they do their quote-unquote time, and you can't roast them too hard and be like, hey, maybe you shouldn't fucking do that, because they haven't given you the paycheck, so you just gotta sit down and bear through them uh, playing out their ego. Now, that is a really harsh criticism that I definitely mean towards club owners. Towards Howard Stern, I would say it, it is a hyperbolic uh, hyperbolic gesture that I'm... Or hyperbolic statement that I'm saying in that way. I'm not saying that Howard Stern is that bad. In fact, he's amazing. But I'm just saying that in, in a hyperbolic standpoint, Howard is a owner-player. The O&A guys, Opie and Anthony, they felt more... And again, they played. They were they were funny as fuck. <laughs> Especially Anthony, he would chime in with some funny fucking shit. But it, in any given atmosphere, they would have let th- their guests just run wild with the show and say, "Fucking sit back and make me laugh." Like they they really did. Uh, yeah, that I, I, that's where I'm going with that analogy, right? I can't I can't keep just throwing out analogy and analogy. You're like, uh, yeah, we get it. It was a cool show. Explain it a little bit better. Um, basically, the whole point I'm trying to make is they always... <coughs> like, entertainment came first. Now, let me explain the characters real quick. Like, the three guys. So, opening, Opie, Anthony, and Jim. All right, here's, here's how they worked so well together, okay? Opie... In in a in a in a the right circumstance uh, was the mom and the dad uh, like he was the parent of the whole thing. Uh, one he like knew how to run the board, do everything. Like he was a technician. He did radio for fucking ever. That it's what he was trained and went to school for. So he had more of a structure, right? And on top of that. He got to play the straight man a lot of times. He would set people up. He, Again, he had, it seemed, a lot of times I could feel that he had the bullet points in front of him. So once he knew that a, a thing was dying or it was going on too long or wanted to involve, you know, their audience, he would go, all right, let's go to the phones. I want to hear this guy, right? He had that structured down, and it kept order and made the show run, Uh I don't think a lot of people gave him the credit that was due because he wasn't the funniest one in the room uh, a lot of times. But God damn it, that you could 
the the only reason that show worked to where it wasn't just a house party of people completely talking over each other and just complete chaos and uh not also not even chaos just boredom right to where he didn't let the comedians get too self-indulgent which i will admit uh i'm not gonna say for every comic but i'll say i get very self-indulgent i'm doing a podcast talking about comedy in a way that is uh just grating at times this is self-indulgent to a t right sometimes i wish i had my own opie here but yeah opie would do that he would he would keep it structured keep it moving set comics up and sometimes knock it down but always he was there as the parent the guiding force the rock he was the rock of the show right and then that goes over to anthony and anthony was like the fun crazy fucking uncle just a gun-toting maniac that was there for personality he was my uncle jim my uncle jim was in a celtic rock band he's a good like fife like flute player it's called a fife it's like a like a piccolo or flute <laughs> and even in their own uh like bands promos i remember laughing quite hard when i first watched it they went through all the band mates they had i don't know six band members in this celtic rock band and they were like yeah this guy is a uh, guitarist he's been playing forever he's fantastic this guy plays the fiddle the banjo and all this other shit he's classically trained plays blues and also in a celtic our celtic rock band kicking ass and it came to my uh my uncle and he's like and uh jimmy here he uh you know some people in our band have more character than talent and it's just like jesus christ that's how you promote my uncle (laughs) it's i mean it's not wrong but it's also fuck me but that was anthony anthony not the more character well i don't know more character than talent might be a good one too if if we can just continue backing the compliments that uh people i like get um yeah he was like a what the fuck drunk guy you just wanted to have fun with and he he wanted to have fun with you at, at at all expense even at the host and the show's expense itself to be quite honest uh sometimes uh you know a lot of Opie and Anthony were really good at creating controversy, and Anthony, I think, more so just because I don't think he's got a fucking care in the world. Um, and <laughs> they uh, they really just they pushed each other uh, to get fired all the time, and then sometimes uh, Anthony would go uh, even farther. And then there was Jimmy, who, like I said was the bridge between worlds um and and i mean that in every sense on this show like he was like the speaking as the youngest sibling his involvement in the show felt like what uh kind of i do in my family from a not a broken family but a mixed family right uh and i'm the only child uh of both my parents and my uh brothers and sisters like I have two brothers, two sisters uh, of one of each parent, so I'm the bridge in there. But I'm also the youngest, so there's that sense of like a peacemaker, right? You just want everybody to get along, cause fucking stop yelling. You're ruining my good time. Jimmy kind of had that, right? He had that with Opie and Anthony, cause there was a lot of tension uh, all the time. They fucking fought all the time, and it's just cause their personalities clashed. But Jimmy was really kind of a buffer to go between there where he would 
try to keep Anthony, uh, you know, he could relate with Anthony because they're both fucking maniacs. As a com- as a comic, we're all goddamn maniacs, right? Uh, but he was also a comedian, so he's professional, like Opie, right? So he, he would be able to keep Anthony from going uh, too insane emotionally, and then he would tell Opie, hey, you got to fucking stick up your butt. Come on, have fun, right? And that didn't happen very much in the early days, but towards the tail end, that happened a little bit more. Um, but also, like I said, he was a bridge between worlds. I also mean he was also a bridge for the comedic guests, right? I, I'm i not entirely certain Tough cr- or, uh, <laughs> Tough Crowd, Opie and Anthony would have had the guests that they did without Jim Norton being on there because Jim Norton brought over basically Tough Crowd, all the seller crew that we talked about uh, back in that episode, um, all of his friends from the New York scene, and then... That just kind of snowballs once everybody starts talking like, oh, like from your your group, you go, oh, this is a great show. Then they go out, they tell two friends, and then they tell two friends, and then they two tell two friends, and so on, and so on. Uh, if I can <laughs> rip off Wayne's World a little bit. But that's how it, I think that's how it snowballed. And then, you know, you get more and more talent in there, and it really became its thing. Um, and again in multiple aspects it was the pebble that started the snowball that became the avalanche and that's the part that we get to now we've talked about the history of ONA we've talked about its lasting relevance right with podcasts uh, its its structure who the three main guys really uh, who brought the show and and why it was so good why it's still relevant um, how it affected me we've talked about everything now it ended it ended uh, in 2014 um, there was multiple reasons that it that it ended there was one kind of real inciting incident um that uh kind of crushed uh, so on july 3rd um in 2014 um kumia was uh fired and not opie and anthony's show was fired kumia was fired because he had some racially charged uh Post that was it was off air, uh, but we're firmly in the realm of social media, right? Cancellations and shit. Um, and what happened was he was in New York. Uh, there was a a girl. There was a black girl that he was. I think he was yelling something at. Um, or no, she. Sorry, he was. Sorry, I I actually know this story. <laughs> Fucking idiot. He was walking down the streets in New York. Allegedly, from his uh, story, I'm going to say allegedly because I wasn't there, right? He was just filming and taking pictures of the New York City skyline, which he said that he did all the time. There was a black girl walking in front of him. She confronted him saying, like, hey, stop taking pictures of my ass. Uh, And then he started yelling at her. Uh, And then at some point, um, I think another black guy saw that he was yelling at this black woman then... I think Anthony pulled out his phone and was like, all right, I'm going to record you, and then started saying some, you know, pretty hurtful shit, but then went on to Twitter and ended up saying some real fucking racist shit. Um, 
and just went on a tirade, which was his kind of emotionally charged shit that I was talking about that Jimmy tampered down, that blew up and became a huge thing, and he even went on the show uh, after that and was uh, was going pretty hard. There was no real remorse. At some point he was like, you know, I'm a gun owner. I was holding the gun, so she better have been glad I didn't fucking shoot her. And it was like, yeah, this is probably not how you save your career. And he, did, he didn't save... Listen, he's still got a career. He's doing very well on his show. Um, but yeah, that that was the beginning of the end. They cut the they cut Kumia out, and they kept uh, they kept Jim and Opie became uh, Opie with uh, Jim Norton. So it was uh, just Opie Opie and Jim Norton, and uh, that that slowly spiraled too. Um, Sam Roberts was producer of Opie and Anthony for a long time. Uh, like sound tech and shit and over time without Anthony there for Jim to get along with Opie just rubbed Jim the wrong way and vice versa and then they broke up and now the latest incarnation of the Opie and Anthony show is Jim Norton and Sam Roberts on uh, Sirius XM satellite radio and it's still a good show right I'm not gonna lie but it is a shade of its former self there are aspects of it where you're like okay this kind of feels like it you know they they bring in guests sometimes but there was some magic with the three of them oddly enough with all of the the strife and differing personalities and craziness there was something with opie and anthony and jim mixed in that really made that show pop and it had to be the alchemy of, of Opie's structure, Anthony's <laughs> just emotional roller coaster, and Jim's ability to ride the rails that brought together the funniest people in the world to come play on a radio show that really shouldn't have worked. And it did. And it really, it, it affected me, and it, I know it affected thousands of other comedians of how how we want to conduct ourselves in this business as <laughs> sorry I just told the Anthony story I'm like that's how I want to conduct myself in this business that's not what I mean I'm saying in the Opie and Anthony show conducting yourself in a way that allows not only yourself, but your friends and other entertainers to do what they do best in an atmosphere that feels um, feels correct. Feels like this is what we should be doing right now. Um, and I miss the Opie and Anthony show. Luckily, like I said, it's online and you can find clips and whole episodes and laugh your fucking balls off because it is still relevant and funny today. Um, as a fucking radio show, it shouldn't be, but god damn it, um, this, th- this really was, this really was a huge, I, I, I don't think a lot of people know, especially with how big certain podcasts have gotten, how far-reaching the Opie and Anthony show is, and I guarantee will continue to be, for, at least, dude, for the next 20 years, everything major in stand-up comedy will have some fucking tie to this show um until the next big boom of something maybe maybe it's already happening that like 
Joe Rogan or WTF or uh, whatever big show is out uh, will then spin off more of its uh, of its own influence. But in my opinion, the Opie and Anthony show changed the landscape of comedy and really entertainment forever. And I don't know if they get enough recognition, but uh, I just spent what feels like an hour and a half giving you guys my uh, my personal take on it and I think that the Opie and Anthony show was an uncensored fucking chaotic crazy exciting wonderful view into not only comedic minds and personalities but the city of gold of comedy where every comedian wanted to hang out and be just the funniest version of themselves uh, while reaching an audience. There's nothing better in this fucking industry than that. If you promised comics, hey, you will reach millions while hanging out with your friends and being the funniest that you'll ever be in your career, that sounds like a meeting Jesus. So anyways... Go out and listen. Find your own comedy. And thank you for uh, listening to me during this whole hot mess. I know podcasts live forever, but goddammit, we're in quarantine. And talking to you guys is getting me through this because I am going fucking nuts. I'm sure you are too. But uh, if you want to have a sense of what it was like before germs took over the world, go listen to the Open Anthony show and, you know, listen to a simpler time when all we were worrying about was... Mass shootings and 9-11. <laughs> what a fucking weird time we're living in. All right. I uh, love you guys. Go find your own comedy. I'll talk to you later. Bye.